the Books and Bites podcast. Each month, we bring you book recommendations and discuss the bites and beverages to pair with them. I'm Carrie Green, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Michael Cunningham and Adam Wheeler. Hello. Hi. So today we're talking about the ninth prompt in the Books and Bites challenge, nonfiction how-to books. I feel like this topic is pretty wide open. What do you all think? Uh, I think for sure I, you know, expected to do like cookbooks or like arts and crafts. And I ended up doing like a book about American politics and how to be involved. Uh, and then my list of other suggestions kind of strays pretty far from my typical idea of a how-to book also. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, same thing about same things, Adam. It was pretty broad, so it was kind of hard for me to narrow it down. Mm-hmm. to kind of figure out what I wanted to read. but mm-hmm. Did you manage to fit horror in the nonfiction uh, how-to genre? Maybe. <laughs> sure. I think I remember suggesting one to He you. did. Adam yeah. is the one who gave me this idea, too. So. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, now I'm eager to hear what you picked. Maybe we should write a how-to book about how to pick books for a, <laughs> such a list. That's a good idea. <laughs> but that's what we're here for exactly on the the books and bites podcast friendly neighborhood librarians (laughs) so my first book is how to do nothing resisting the attention economy by jenny odell First, I should note that How to Do Nothing is a very difficult book to summarize. This is not a traditional how-to book, but one that uses philosophical arguments and theory to help readers understand and resist the attention economy. According to Odell, we live in a world where many online entities, such as social media platforms and advertisers, vie for our attention. It's also a world quote, where our value is determined by our productivity, unquote. Odell argues that rather than allowing our attention to be frittered away in unsatisfying online interactions, we should be engaged in person with our communities and environment. You might expect the author of such a book to be anti-technology, but Odell is an artist who uses technology to create her art and even engages with social media. Instead, she is, quote, opposed to the way that corporate platforms buy and sell our attention, as well as to designs and uses of technology that enshrine a narrow definition of productivity and ignore the local, the carnal, and the poetic, unquote. The book's chapters focus on countercultural communes, the history of worker refusal, how to be more intentional about what you focus on, the filter bubble, and what a utopian social network might look like. I personally was less interested in the history of doing nothing and more interested in how members of contemporary society can resist the lure of meaningless online interactions. One of Odell's proposed solutions is bioregionalism, a philosophy that focuses on paying more attention to the ecological and geographical regions where you live. Odell, for example, is a birder, and learning to identify birds helps her connect with the non-human life forms around her. 
learning the names of trees and plants is another way of connecting ourselves to a physical place rather than to the placelessness of much online life. She also stresses the importance of connecting with our communities in person, a lesson that many of us likely learned in this past year and a half of pandemic life. How to Do Nothing makes for a pretty dense reading, but I found the effort to be worthwhile. If this had been my own copy and not a library copy, I would have underlined many passages. If you are interested in learning more about our own bluegrass bioregion, I recommend checking out Venerable Trees, History, Biology, and Conservation in the Bluegrass by Tom Kimmerer. I checked these books out at the same time, and they complemented each other well. Enjoy How to Do Nothing with a Cup of Matcha Tea, a type of Japanese green tea powder known for its ability to help you focus. The traditional method of whisking the tea into hot water is also a great way to slow down and be present, at least until you add a photo of it to your Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) We'll link to information about matcha on our blog. Wow, that seems like a lot of really involved information for doing nothing. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah, the title was definitely a little misleading. Yeah, deception. (laughs) But you know, it is funny. I would like to know how to just disconnect a little bit more. You know how many times I have been looking at like TikTok on my phone and I'm like, okay, that's enough. And then I space out for three to five seconds and don't even remember I was just on it. I pick my phone back up. I'm like, I wonder what's on TikTok right now. (laughs) And I catch myself like, wait, I just closed this and I don't even remember that. It's just so knee-jerk reaction that I that I go to it. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, one of her points is that they're designed to do that. Mm-hmm. They're designed to be addictive and to, um, to try and get your attention easily. Yeah, I, I mean, I just, the past week, I just realized, like, I'll be scrolling through Twitter or Facebook and realize, like, I need to get off this. Or I've been doing this for too long. Or like, why is this? Why am I all of a sudden just, it's like, you don't even think about it. You just start mm-hmm. scrolling. You just pick something up. And that's the first thing you start doing. And I was like, I need to take a break from this. Yeah. And I think her point is realistic in that she's not saying get off all social media. She's saying replace that attention with something else. Mm-hmm. Um, like reading a book. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I have found when I commit to reading like a long novel and I spend a full day doing it, I am surprised at how slowly the time passes and how much more time it feels like I have in a day. And it feels nice. I'm like, why are my days just going by like they don't exist Mm -hmm. otherwise? (laughs) I don't. It's just crazy. Or like if you lay i i think it's extremely underrated to just lay down in bed and stare at the ceiling or the wall for a little bit just zone out Mm -hmm. which it doesn't sound like is what this author is suggesting you go do but it's still doing nothing yeah yeah. well i mean that's still a way of resisting Mm -hmm. right yeah Yeah, meditating or something just Mm -hmm. yeah calm down and think yeah
So for something completely different, my suggestion for a how-to book is the Everything Ghost Hunting Book. Tips, Tools, and Techniques for Exploring the Supernatural World, second edition by Melissa Martin Ellis. So that's how yeah. you <laughs> All thanks to Adam. You're welcome, world. <laughs> yes. So years ago, a few co-workers and I, before I came to JCPO, started a paranormal investigation, investigation group. We've been all over the region and have investigated some of the more infamous places around, like Bobby Mackey's Music World, the Brushy Mountain Penitentiary in Tennessee, the Sedanzo Rectory near Cincinnati, and the very notorious Waverly Hills Sanatorium on two different occasions. I found that this book provides a great introduction to the world of paranormal investigation and how to get started, either as a hobby or professionally. The opening chapter discusses what it takes to be a ghost hunter mentally and financially. Financially, it can get real expensive real quick if you must have the newest gadgets out there, like the IR cameras, thermal imagers, the rim pods, EMF readers, etc. But you don't need all that for paranormal investigating. There's a whole chapter devoted to what essentials you do need and briefly discusses each piece of equipment. It walks through on how to properly prepare for an investigation, especially if you're investigating a private residence, like following scientific methods when investigating that include obtaining permission for a site, investigating in teams and or in pairs, keeping strict records, and carefully reviewing evidence with an aim to debunk it. Sprinkled throughout the book are answers to commonly asked questions, tidbits of important info, warnings, and handy tips. For example, one warning explains just how important it is to get permission to investigate a site. Since people have been shot and killed trespassing on private property in the past, the book devotes a chapter that goes in-depth about ghosts, apparitions, and demons, and breaks down the different hauntings you might run into during investigation, like residual, intelligent, and the non-human entities, such as demons or shadow people. It also goes into some of the more infamous hauntings, like the one that inspired the movie The Conjuring. I found this book to be a great resource for a beginner or an experienced investigator. Beginners can use it as a guide to get started since it explains and breaks everything down in an easy to digest way without overwhelming them. I found a lot of helpful things I wasn't aware of, like the confidentiality agreements many teams use when investigating a private residence and businesses. My group has typically stuck to the more famously haunted sites, but it's good to know for when we do. So for the pairing, I chose a cocktail called The Conjuring. It calls for an ounce of absinthe poured into a shaker filled with ice, an ounce of creme de cacao, an ounce of coconut milk. Uh, shake it, then drizzle black sambuca around the edges that gives it a spooky ethereal appearance. A perfect drink to cap off a night of paranormal investigation. This recipe <laughs> I found um, came from a television show on the Discovery Channel called Josh Gates Tonight. So if you ever watched Discovery Channel Watts Expedition and knowing it's kind of like an offshoot of that. He goes around and investigates, um, you know, different mysteries and things like um, El Dorado and UFOs and stuff like that around the world. So. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, I think if you had a successful ghost hunt, you probably would need something like that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh -huh. yeah. yeah. I've had a... I have a few experiences out there. All right. Well, you gotta you gotta tell us your best story. Oh man, tell us about all of the times you've seen a footprint in talcum powder on the floor. 
We've not used that. Yeah. <laughs> um, probably the one of Saints, uh, Waverly Sanatorium. Uh, I was walking down, I think it was the third floor down the hallway, and I, I wandered off by myself, which is probably not a good idea. But I started hearing footsteps right around me. And so I started going in the rooms and I kept hearing them that like I was chasing these footsteps around. And then probably the Sedansville Rectory was the creepiest place. So it's an old Catholic rectory right outside Cincinnati on this resident, this neighborhood that is mostly abandoned. And it just had this really kind of eerie feeling to it. Um, the Catholic church is still there, but it's locked up tight. And there, it used to be used. The site used to be used as a dog fighting ring. There's scratches behind every door, closets, and everything. Wow. So, um, we heard. Let's see. We heard. We had a walkie-talkie. We took a break. Was eating dinner. Someone told a joke, and on the walkie-talkie, laughter came through. I mean, there's. <laughs> we're miles from the highway, the interstate. There's no one there, so it was very kind of weird. And then later that night, we saw this. I was watching the camera, and I saw this. Thing, just walk in the basement. <laughs> it was very, very creepy. Huh? Like, like an orb or like a figure? It was like or? almost like a like a. It was like a a head and like an arm thing. You couldn't see the torso, but it moved like in tandem, like you would see like in a body, just across. And you were like, mm-hmm. well, "There's no mirrors down there. There's no window, so I don't know." My God, I think you found Alfred Hitchcock. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it kind of reminded me of that, yeah. (laughs) Well, um, yeah, that's interesting. Um, Thanks for for sharing. And uh, if you would like your own weird experiences, you can check out that book. Yeah. The Everything Ghost Hunting book. Tips, tools, and techniques for exploring the supernatural world. Is there a ghost hunting book for dummies? There must be. There is. It's by, I think, the most recent one is by Zach Bagans. I don't know if you ever, people out there have watched the Ghost Adventures show, but that that show's a little over the top. What I would really like to see, either in a TV show or as a book, is ghost hunting bloopers. (laughs) Um, them accidentally scaring each other while on the hunt, that kind of thing. I think that would be a lot of fun. Or even, you know, the entities playing tricks on them would also be acceptable. Absolutely. Uh, That that sounds like a hit. I've I've seen that. They they do that every now and then. They'll have like a special and they'll have, they'll show bloopers or them accidentally scaring each other. All right, so for mine, the only spirit in it is the spirit of freedom because it's a book about American democracy. Um, (laughs) So my main read for this month is You Call This Democracy? How to Fix Our Government and Deliver Power to the People by Elizabeth Rush. Uh, The title is a finalist for the Young Adult Library Services Association's 2021 Excellence in Nonfiction for Young Adults Award. That is a mouthful. (laughs) Uh, I make no secret of the fact that nonfiction is not my jam. That said, I found this book a genuinely interesting, nonpartisan examination of American politics 
along with how-tos for making real change. Um, <laughs> I think you call this democracy is unique for both its nonpartisan stance and its accessibility to a middle-grade audience. Though, if I'm honest, I'd have a hard time focusing at that age, but really, that's <laughs> more to do with my own struggles with focusing than with the book itself. Um, Anyway, the author consistently paints the failings of both Republican and Democrat parties when it comes to flaws in our political system. So don't come for me about being political in the library podcast. Um, I haven't finished the book per se, or probably even used the phrase per se correctly. <laughs> but can, we, can we come at you for those things? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. Yes, that's fine. Um, <laughs> but I've definitely learned from what I have read so far. So here's some fun points. Uh, I learned the origin of the word gerrymander. Uh, Elbridge Gerry, governor of Massachusetts in 1812, approved a voting map that favored redistricting zones for his own party. There was even a political cartoon making fun of Jerry's salamander-shaped voting district. His gerrymander. Because, you know, it's his last name and salamander um, nice. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a terrible pun exactly and every time you hear them talking about gerrymandering in the news you can think about that pun and also send a small thanks to me <laughs> yes um <laughs> honestly this makes me kind of want to do an art program where teens turn zany voting district borders into artistic interpretations Something fun, you know, like how people started painting monsters into cheesy retail art landscapes. Um, getting off topic, though. Um, <laughs> uh, two, this has got a little bit of information about money and politics. Uh, if I am telling on myself, that is the only, that is the last chapter that I got to, which is like only three or four in. Um, <laughs> I think I did nebulously know there was dark money in politics, like. It's no secret that corporations and the very wealthy use their money to influence campaigns. That said, I don't think I understand. I understood how bad the problem was or that it really varies based on state laws. Um, and it's not even touching on the problem of how opinions of large donors vastly overrepresent the opinions of everyday Americans. Uh, it's got a lot of, it's really dense with information despite being very accessible in language. Um, and if you're thinking at this point, this really just sounds like a political nonfiction. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. But it is genuinely a how-to book. Like, it's right in the alternate title. How to fix our government and deliver power to the people. Uh, it's got a lot of information in it because you need to understand how government works before you start getting involved. Otherwise, you're just kind of making noise. Um, so I will say one last time that the book approaches issues that are proven to be of concern to a majority of American citizens, regardless of political party. And issues are approached from a nonpartisan stance focusing on improving democracy for everyone. Uh, you Call This Democracy is available from JCPL in hard copy and as a downloadable audiobook via Hoopla Digital. As for the bite, something quintessentially American sounds ideal, and what's more American than, you guessed it, corn. Oh. <laughs> yeah, not American pie, corn. That's right, we are the largest producer and exporter of corn in the world. We produce around 377.5 million metric tons of corn per year across 96 million acres of land, according to World Atlas. 
So add some fiber to your non-fic dessert pairing with corn and blackberry pops. This probably sounds a little bonkers uh, unless you, like me, have sunk your teeth into fresh sweet corn. Uh, it honestly tastes like candy. It's so delicious. Um, all you need is blackberries, simple syrup, kosher salt, and fresh corn on the cob. Mm. Sweet fresh corn on the cob, not just corn. Um, <laughs> for the full <laughs> recipe, see People's Pops, available from JCPL in hard copy. By the author's own words, only make this recipe in late summer when you can get fresh, sweet corn. God help you if you make this with canned corn. (laughs) 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 Or hominy, even. Have you guys had hominy? That is vile. What is hominy? It's like puffed canned corn. Mm -mm. No. No. Mm -mm. It's nasty. I haven't had that. But fresh corn, yes, you're right. It is very sweet and... Mm -hmm. I think I've read that us being, we being Americans and lovers of sweet, we have basically bred it that way. So it didn't originally used to be that sweet. Um, But that does sound really good. I bet it would be good with blueberries too. Ooh, yeah. That'd be good. Are they also, are blueberries a late summer thing? Um... Not as late as blackberries. Yeah. So you're right. They may, But I don't know. There's a lot of recipes that call for, um, you know, cornmeal and blueberries together. Yeah. So that's what made me think of it. But yeah, you're right. They may not be yeah. um, ripe at the same time. Maybe we could feed our basic tendencies by making a uh, <laughs> corn and pumpkin spice pop. <laughs> mm. I mean, you know, it's seasonal. Yeah. Right? <laughs> It probably would work, actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think if corporate America has shown us anything, it's that pumpkin spice spice works you with anything. Pumpkin spice right. anything. It does. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we're tackling America's food problems and our democracy. Yes. Taking action. So I've got three quick picks here. Um, The first one is playing with image transfers, exploring creative imagery for use in art, mixed media, and design by Courtney Cerruti. I'm not entirely sure how I came across this book in the library. I may just have stumbled on it when I was browsing the new book section one day. In any case, I found the techniques and projects really intriguing, and even though I'm not particularly a crafty person, I've used them quite a bit. This book will show you how to reproduce an image onto other surfaces. For example, I've transferred photos onto wooden boxes and photocopies onto packing tape. If you are interested in collage, mixed media art, or just doing cool stuff with your photos, I recommend checking this book out. Can I Recycle This? A Guide to Better Recycling and How to Reduce Single-Use Plastics by Jenny Romer. File this book under, I had no idea you could write a whole book on that. (laughs) (laughs) Can I Recycle This? Takes what could be a pretty dry topic and packages it in a colorfully illustrated and informative book. What you can recycle will vary depending on where you live, Some areas don't recycle at all, but this book provides good general guidelines to follow. 
It also provides tips for how to make it more likely that your items will be recycled, such as removing the dirty parts of your pizza box and how to reduce your overall use of non-recyclable materials. I have to wonder, does it also include instructions for how to recycle that book? <laughs> I don't remember seeing that, but that is a good question. Okay, yeah. I, I, I mean, I would imagine, like, reusing in some way would mm -hmm. probably be part of the plan because for things that you can't recycle, you know, you always want to try to reuse them somehow. But yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> and then my last choice is Beyond Beautiful, a practical guide to being happy, confident, and you in a looks-obsessed world by Anushka Reese. Another how-to book in an appealing, brightly illustrated package <laughs> Beyond Beautiful is a self-help book that subverts traditional views of women's appearance as well as the traditional beauty self-help book. Reese pushes against the patriarchal focus on women's bodies, explaining where beauty conventions come from. For example, women didn't shave their underarms until 1920s advertisements began telling them they should. And providing the tools you need to reflect on and improve your own relationship to your body. So when I was researching for how-to books, I found a couple that I um, immediately added to my TBR that I'm going to share with you real quick. So the first one is Narconomics, How to Run a Drug Cartel by Tom Wainwright. <laughs> Contrary to the title, this book does not condone starting your very own cartel, but offers a blueprint on how to defeat them by looking at them like they're big businesses. Since cartels use many strategies and tactics employed by corporations like Walmart, McDonald's, and Coca-Cola. Wainwright interviews many of the players in the game that explain things like how head-to-toe tattoos fit into their business plans, how gangs decide whether to compete or do business with each other, and why cartels apparently care a surprising amount about corporate social responsibility. <laughs> That's interesting. I know. <laughs> I feel like that says more about Walmart and uh, yeah. Coca-Cola than it does about the drug cartels. <laughs> Yeah, that's kind of where my head was going with it. Um, and then my second one is How Fascism Works, The Politics of Us and Them by Jason Stanley. Probably not a true how-to book. This super timely book, written by a philosophy professor at Yale University, establishes 10 pillars of fascist politics while weaving in stories from Hungary, Poland, Myanmar, India, the United States, among others. Stanley looks at the fascist tactics commonly employed, like the mythic version of a nation's past, propaganda that twists the language of dem democratic ideals, anti-intellectualism, usually directed against universities and experts, law and order politics, especially against minority groups, and attack on labor groups and welfare programs. He shows how these things quickly build on each other and are as prevalent today as ever before. Okay, so my first option uh, for extra reads is Period Power, a manifesto for the menstrual movement by Nadja Akimoto. Um, Nadja Akimoto began writing this book in 2016, just after high school graduation, and after lots of hard work, saw her book published in 2018. 
It was featured in Kirkus Review's 2018 Best Young Adult Nonfiction list. By all accounts a go-getter, Nadia has also run for public office. Um, and currently 23 years old, she has gone on to be featured in lists for Forbes, Bloomberg, and People magazine. Um, period Power covers the biological facts of menstruation, um, and I'm sure how-tos for using uh, uh, hygiene products. Um Associated stigma, unequal access to essential hygiene products, and America's policies that affect menstruation care, and how to take action to affect perceptions around menstruation as well as public policy. The text is accessible to students in junior high and up, but content should be appropriate for any parent who chooses to guide their middle grade student through the book. Period Power by Nadja Akamoto is available from JCPL in hard copy as well as downloadable audiobook via Hoopla Digital. Cool. I have actually looked at that book. I was checking out for a research project, Feminist Manifestos, and Mm -hmm. I took a look at that one. Um, I didn't read the whole thing, but it was um, definitely a good take on the subject for young women yeah it seems like a good book and obviously you're not the only one who thinks it sounds good because you know kirkus reviews really liked it (laughs) 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 all right and then there is girls garage how to use any tool tackle any project and build the world you want to see by emily piaton um and then so it is a book uh that is kind of based around an actual nonprofit organization, their website, and the projects they do. So, from their website, Girls Garage is a nonprofit design and building program and dedicated workspace for girls and gender expansive youth ages 9 to 18. Um, through classes in carpentry, welding, architecture, and activist art, we support and equip a community of fearless girls who are building the world they want to see. It was established in 2013. Uh, their motto is speak up, stand out, make trouble. Um, <laughs> uh, girls refers to gender expansive youth, um, including uh, trans individuals who identify as girls. Uh, and the Girls Garage book tackles the same objectives through education about equipment as well as step-by-step building projects. Uh, girls Garage is available from JCPL in hard copy and as a downloadable ebook via Hoopla Digital. Uh, third option, I'm going to be not specific, I'm just going to be general, Dungeons and Dragons. Um, nice. Just grab any kind of D&D guide, find some like-minded peeps and start playing. There's rules and structured stories, but you could also just homebrew any stories or characters you like. D&D is a great way to exercise your storytelling skills. Um, JCPL has D&D resources available in a variety of formats, uh, even in a maker kit. You can borrow it in the teen space and use it inside the library. As someone who plays Dungeons & Dragons, it is it is a lot of fun. Yeah. You should definitely check it out. Mm-hmm. Thanks for listening to the Books and Bites podcast. To submit your entry to the Books and Bites challenge, visit our website at justpublib.org forward slash books hyphen bites. Our theme song is The Breakers by Scott Whitten from his album In Close Quarters with the Enemy. Find out more about Scott and his music at adorefordesk.com.